a swamp cooler installed yeah in the uh the apartment i've lived in for eight years where are you located um i am off of mlk in colorado oh you're in denver yeah have we yeah. met i don't think so we probably know mutual friends oh we definitely have to know mutual friends so you do yeah. improv and stand-up i do director of science communication training organization oh man that's rough science scienceriot.org what do you do there um, I'm the National Program Coordinator for ScienceRiot.org. So what I do is I teach scientists and STEM field professionals, STEM being science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, so yeah. STEM field professionals, how to use stand-up comedy as a public outreach tool. Cool. So we teach them a three-week training workshop where we teach them the principles of how to write and perform stand-up comedy and then at the end of that workshop they do a five to seven minute presentation about their expertise whether it's biology or physics or computer science or whatever their thing is ah. and uh, then they present that it used to be for a live audience several hundred people sold out shows and now we do digital live streams yeah i think i've seen the events for it mm -hmm. that sounds familiar I posted them on Denver yeah. Comedy. Yeah, I've it's seen the events. Seen them yeah. in That's interesting. Yeah. Do you That's know about my nonprofit? No, tell me. I have a nonprofit I started this year, so it really hasn't done anything, uh, called artofcomedy.org. And uh, we're teaching comedy and improv to people to help them overcome trauma as a therapeutic tool. Um, Originally, yeah. my focus was women and like the LGBTQIA community, but um, now I've kind of just opened it up to like marginalized groups is what I've said. I mean, I, I just want to be able to focus on some other groups that aren't necessarily, that ha don't really have anything to do about gender and sexuality. I mean, those are still mainly my focus because there's just already plenty of cis men in comedy, but you know, really? just I hadn't noticed. Really? No. Yeah. But maybe like it'd be nice to get some any gender of other colors, especially here in Colorado. Um, or there's just not. Yeah, it's, it's not. Hard. Um, we try in the program I run to put a focus on including people of different backgrounds and colors. Yeah. Like it's genuinely hard, and I'm not sure how much of that is people who are willing to try comedy tend to skew heavily white or just these STEM fields tend to recruit and employ heavily white populations because that's yeah. there so it self-propagates. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I know like, I just feel like there should be, um, there. there's not a lot of black comedians, which makes sense because population-wise, uh, percentage of the area, it makes sense. But there should be more Hispanic comedians here. I wonder if that's a cultural thing. I don't know. Um, so in, in my day job, when I'm not doing my nonprofit, uh, I'm a medical laboratory scientist. So a lot of the work that I do is in blood banking. So I match donated units of blood from donors to recipients for you know, various therapeutic purposes. Um, and the enormous majority of our blood donors are white. And um, 
it's difficult to recruit minorities because it's just not part of the cultural conversation. Yeah. There's historic distrust of the medical community for totally legitimate reasons. Well, they have, um, yeah, I mean, and then, then I know they have a higher percentage in like the black community of having like diabetes and some other like contributing factors that cause you to not be able to donate blood. Uh, yeah. Too, but yeah, it That's is true. But the majority of you know, Colorado is just really white. There's just I was born and raised in Minnesota, so Colorado seems a lot more diverse to me than that. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. I mean, I'm from Wichita, Kansas, oh, yeah. and I lived here for a couple years with my sons when they were in middle school. And we went back to Kansas, we went to this zoo thing they have there, and he was looking around and he said, Man, it's white here. But that's because he went to a school that was, there were maybe 20 white kids in it, and him and his brother were two of them, but it was mostly Hispanic. It was like 70%, mm -hmm. 80% Hispanic. And then, but there still weren't very many. It was mostly Hispanic people. And I know that, like my roommate, Josue, you know Goldfish Entertainment? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's my, my roommate, and you know, he's Hispanic or whatever, and, or Latino or, you know. And he, um, but there's a lot of, a lot of the problem is, is that, especially here in Denver, is that a lot of the, I mean, I don't know about female Hispanic comedians, but the male, uh, the, the culture there is very, you know, there's machismo and like very mis, kind of misogynistic. So like they're, if they did want to come do comedy, they're not, they're probably going to get shut down because, you know, they might say. Yeah. And what I was saying about the cultural conversation too, is like that might just not be an art form that has deep roots in in latin culture i really don't know maybe it does but yeah um, well they have a different if you, like exposed to it might not be what you yeah artistic efforts on if you've watched the spanish channel uh telemundo their humor is uh different mm -hmm. on there for sure <laughs> there's like half-naked women um, on children's game shows, giving away the prizes and becoming. Hey, Josh. Puppy. My little, my little dogs right here. Hi, puppy. Oh, puppy. See, my job has my job has office dogs. Oh, that's wonderful. People can bring their dogs, so I can bring my dog. I'm gonna go back to Kansas and get my dog. Um, yeah, one of my dogs, and um. So that'll be cool. I'll get to bring Pete to work. And, okay, you know, they got good coffee and free healthy snacks. And uh, I put my earbuds in. And I don't really have to deal with people a lot. So it's not too bad. That sounds like a great day job. I'm not even sure if I really had a conversation with anybody much today. I mean, I answered the phone a few times, but it's always your first like conversation answering. today. Huh? I'm your first conversation today. Yeah, because, like, I had, well, I talked to my friend Lynette on the phone on the way home. Okay. Uh, but she don't count. I talk to her, like, every day. Uh, I'm trying to think, like, I mean, I kind of had a conversation this morning with a dude in the kitchen at work. Uh, Did it include a sentence of more than four words? Yes. Okay, that's a conversation. We discussed uh, how I'm not a morning person and he is. I had a conversation this morning before work with a gentleman who I stayed the night with, but um, 
Yeah. Like at work, I didn't really talk to anybody hardly at all today. Nope. Nope. A successful day. You don't yeah. Your coworkers. And actually, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I, I've tried real hard to work slow and not, my job is like beneath my skill set because I don't want responsibility. Like my boss, I could be doing her job, but I don't want it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, I want to, I'm a glorified data entry clerk in accounting. So it's pretty, pretty sexy. It's pretty dope. Yeah. No. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, um, how long have you been doing comedy or improv or whatever? Um, how did you get going? I, I moved to Colorado in 2009 and I started doing, long day. Um, started doing comedy, um, probably late 2009, early 2010. Okay. I'm surprised we haven't met. Um, yeah, I've definitely leaned heavily towards the improv side of it for a long time. Oh, it's probably And true. then, uh, it, most of my stand-up stuff has been funneled through the science communication part of it. So yeah. I don't feel like a lot of open mics or, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Because open mics are always, like, at midnight, and you gotta stand around for three hours and wait for them to call your number and then you got your two-minute bit and six other comics and you and you're like this is rewarding well, yeah i mean i i started stand-up in 2016. i came out here pretty quickly like a month in and i kind of had a long distance relationship with denver comedy so when i moved here like last year like it's been a little over a year um people already knew me so like when I would go to the mics, I didn't, I was always up fairly early. Um, so yeah, I didn't have to, I mean, I paid my dues from a distance. I didn't have to, you know what I mean? I didn't, people are like, were upset because I, as far as they knew, was barely in the scene and I was already getting up in the first 10, 15 people. And I'm like, no, they know me. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, do your time in the trenches. I did. I did it in Kansas. Yeah. And yeah. I, I would drive two hours for a mic because there just aren't very many mics in Wichita. So that's how I, I did my time in the trenches on the road, traveling around to mics and stuff. So yeah, it's a hard gig, man. Like you got to really love it. So yeah, I got that. It takes to really get your footing. It's like an addiction. Yeah, I've been reading these books lately about brain chemistry and uh, addiction and connection and the neurochemicals that fire around in your brain. And they say that intermittent reward is the thing that keeps you coming back for more. So we check our phones so often because intermittently there's something good there. Not always, but often enough. Yeah. And so we're checking back and back and back. So like a good open mic, you know, not always there, but often enough, keep coming back to it. Yeah. But it's a very, it's a very real addiction. I mean, it's not a physical dependency, but we're still chasing that high. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've never, uh, you know, outside of like <clears throat> my kids, 
which also is the only reason I really went to college and gave a shit about that was because I was trying to make more money to take care of kids. Uh, so outside of my children, I've never really had any drive or passion for anything else other than comedy. So. Yeah. Um, I had an ex-boyfriend who told me that doing these comedy shows was the only time he saw me really smile, which might be something to say about the relationship, but also like, <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> doing this is where I feel like I'm doing the thing I should do. Like the thing that is me and yeah. the, the thing that I meant to be doing and everything else is just kind of what I have to do. Right. So when it's you find that moment of flow in this beautiful thing, like, yeah, that's when I smile, dude. Yeah. That's what, that, that's what happened to me. I went up and I came down like a different person after I went up on stage and I was like, ha ha. Yeah. I listened, to, um, I listened to Terry Gross on Fresh Air and she had an interview with Hannah Gadsby a few weeks oh, yeah. ago about Hannah Gadsby's new thing. Um, and Hannah Gadsby was saying kind of the same thing of like, I, I did this because I didn't really have anything else I could do. I didn't have anything else that worked for me in the world and then I found this and it was a thing that I could do that worked with me yeah I'm like yeah I get that that makes complete sense yeah I always felt like something was missing and I would try to fill it with all sorts of different stuff with relationships with material possessions with four kids uh but it never I always felt like something was missing and now it's stand-up comedy, apparently. So I'm really, I've kind of just accepted that it, there's not really going to be a lot. Like, like stand-up's kind of over for the rest of the year, at least. I mean, I have a show tomorrow in the Springs and one on the 7th in Greeley, but, you know. I have no idea what's going to happen over the next years. I was in a pretty hard funk about it this spring which I think oh, everybody yeah. everybody in performance April was awful March and April I was getting texts from people like I'm in an existential crisis like I don't know how I don't know my name anymore kind of texts yeah like the last two weeks of March like comedy like officially got shut down here like March 16th that's when everything shut down and I couldn't do my shows and we couldn't go to mics and stuff and then I had like a breakup, like we hadn't been dating very long, but still like two weeks later, like there's a lot of shit that happened the last two weeks of March. And then like April 1st, I got, I got a job and then I got fired four days later at, on April 1st is when I got fired. So the last two weeks of March were fucking rough. So like April, I just like shut down. I just got real stoned all the time. And, um, watched a lot of television and just yeah i plowed through some box wine and tiger king and oh, yeah. and, and better call saul and uh, watched everything i think everything that's of any interest to me i have watched it and now like i try to go on netflix or hulu or whatever in the evenings because i'm you know tired or whatever and I just can't find anything to watch. So I just watched Futurama over it. Yeah, I, I finished Netflix in March. I just finished it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is a great joke I heard. Like, yeah. Yeah. Anything I want to watch. I mean, there's still plenty on there I haven't seen, but 
Yeah, my, my comfort food is drag queens and baking shows. Oh, yeah. So I've, like, watched all of the drag series on, um, on Netflix, and I've watched all of the Great British Baking Show every season multiple times, and I just watch them again. I'm like, yeah, I want to see you make pasta again. Yeah. Show me that mirror glaze ganache. I love it. Do it again. Mine are true crime, which there's a lot of, and yet I've watched all of it. And, um, like, uh, period pieces that are set in, like, the 1800s, 15, like, Vikings and Queens and Kings. Oh, um, so on Netflix, have you watched the series called Norsemen? It's, it's kind of, it's funny, isn't it? It's a comedy series. Yeah. I, I think I tried to watch it, but couldn't get into it. Oh, really? I absolutely love it. Uh, I I started watching it thinking that it was going to be a serious drama, like Vikings. Yeah. And then, like, as this unfolds to be this absolute satire of these kind of medieval period pieces like Vikings and, like, uh, Game of Thrones, and I it hits every funny bone. I love it. It's like... My- Maybe I should try watching again because my 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 ex-husband, my last ex-husband, uh my third ex-husband, he was really into it and I think maybe it like oh, he, he, he was annoying me at the time, so anything he was into annoyed me. So I don't know, maybe now that I don't care and I'm not annoyed it, by Yeah, it. it's a it's a specific tone of humor and if that's not your not your jam, you might not like it, but it tickles me exactly the right no, way. No, I and I think like Here's the weird thing is like they have like really thick accents on that show. No, they're quite light. Yeah, because like I have trouble with like Monty Python shows. Like I can understand Life of Brian, but The Holy Grail I have to watch with subtitles. I just can't understand the thick English accents. My ears. I watch like all of my shows with subtitles anyway. Yeah. Um. I just I can't understand really thick English, thick accents of any kind. I can't, like, I don't know why my brain doesn't want to recognize the words. That's interesting. As someone who, like, has an art form that is speaking words, yeah. you stumble on the hearing of words is yeah. kind of an odd disconnect. Yeah, some of these Zoom mics and stuff, there's been, like, comedians in the UK, and I don't know what the fuck they're saying half the time. The UK Huh? Thick accents. Um, yeah. My other, so I, I have kind of this obsession uh, with addiction as a physical process and a social consequence. I think partly because I've sort of come aware of these things during the opioid epidemic, and I'm like, what is this thing that grabs people and never lets them go? How can mm. it be that you are so under the domination of of this thing, this inanimate drug. So I watch all kinds of documentaries and, and stuff about opioids and addictions. And there's all kinds of things about different drug epidemics in England. And some of the people that feature in these documentaries are absolutely unintelligible. Just like their accents are so thick and yeah. so specific to their region that I could not understand a word they said. Yeah, the, like Cockney or whatever or like some of their regional accents from like the central part of the country or some of their port cities like liverpool like a really thick um like working class liverpool accent is like i'm not even sure this is english (laughs) 
Yeah, and they have like these, they have terms that are not, you know, that are not just non-American, but like are very specific to their little areas. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I have, I've dated a lot of addicts um, and alcoholics. Um, I haven't gleaned a lot of insight into addicts via it really other than to stay away from them um but it is strange how because i've done hard drugs and i you know had a car wreck and i could have easily been addicted to pain pills and i've had stints with drinking a lot um but i always i just never get addicted the only thing i've ever been addicted to is nicotine Mm. i have the vape oh yeah i'm not happy about it but it's better than the than the cigarettes though because they don't stink it's cheaper i could do it at my desk if i take a little vape i guess i can do it at my cube and they don't care yeah you're not inhaling all of the other burning detritus into your lungs which is yeah i mean you're not supposed to put anything in your lungs you're not supposed to put anything in your body except but, broccoli, and but, none of us live by that. So yeah, I mean, I did meth in like 1999, so okay. for like quite a while, and then I just I got it for free, and then when I stopped getting it for free, I and bought it the first time, I was like, this is all I get for 50 bucks, never mind, and so I just quit doing it. Yeah. My dad told me that he quit smoking in like 1976 or something like that because packs went up to 50 cents a pack. And it's like, this is too expensive. I'm not gonna do it anymore. Oh, my dad was a smoker. I remember being like, when they go over a dollar, I'll quit. And then <laughs> he died in 2011 and was still smoking a little bit. Yep. So. Um, my friend's husband was in a band, which I don't know why this is even relevant, but he was in a band. But he once told me that it was easier for him to quit heroin than it was for him to quit nicotine. Yeah. Because he had used both at various periods. And nicotine is definitely the harder one. Really easy to get nicotine. It's easy. It's cheap. It's not socially stigmatized. You can bum it off somebody. You can't just bum some heroin. (laughs) It's like, hey, dude, you got some heroin on you? Hey, man, you got a bump I can bum? No. (laughs) It doesn't work quite like that. It doesn't work quite like that, no. Um... Yeah, nicotine is the, like, most addictive thing or something. Do you know who Michael Pollan is? I don't think so. He's a, a writer. He writes about food a lot. Um, and he wrote a book about psychedelics a couple of years ago that had a big splash. And now his latest book is about caffeine. And it's, like, the world's most commonly used drug and the effects it has on people and the effects it has on society. Um, I guess I am addicted. I mean, I do need a cup of coffee or two or three now. But his his point was like he stopped drinking caffeine in order to write this book from a quote unquote unbiased perspective. And then he went back to it because he says, I am an addict to caffeine. But addiction has a really big stigma around the concept. And if you can afford it, if you have a steady supply, if it doesn't affect your social life or your relationships, it's really not a bad thing. Yeah. So like drinking coffee, it's not really a bad thing. No one ever like destroyed their life over coffee. Well, like <laughs> I was developing an ulcer uh, before I 
moved here, uh, like the beginning of last year, I was real stressed out. I hated my job and I was in a shitty marriage and my kids were teenagers and they were driving me nuts. And I was just really stressed out. And, uh, so I couldn't drink coffee. It would just tear my stomach up. Um, so too much coffee can be bad for the lining of your stomach and can cause bleeding ulcers that can kill you. But that's like a extreme. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. Don't, don't have a bleeding ulcer in your gut. Yeah. Co too much caffeine exasperates my anxiety. That is true. Too for much sure. caffeine makes you real shaky. Yeah. But I just have to remember to eat breakfast. If I just drink coffee, that's my thing. Like, I'll just drink coffee in the morning, and then by 11 a.m., I'm like, I don't feel so good. I'm like, yeah. Drink four cups of coffee, and suddenly, yeah. a little blurry around the edges, and you don't okay. know why. My heart's racing. What's the matter? <laughs> why am I so anxious about everything right now? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I usually have one cup uh, just to kind of wake up and be, so I don't get a headache. But now that I'm working, I've been having like the last couple days, I've had like three, four cups of coffee just because I've spent the last, well, pretty much the last year not working, uh, doing DoorDash. I mean, I've been making money, but not having to get up early. So I'm, I'm readjusting currently to yeah it's a rough gig like um it's not natural my natural rhythm of sleep is like 4 a.m to noon yep yep like i hit my like largest creative peak of the day between 8 p.m and midnight yeah and, um, and then after that but like trying to get anything done between like noon and seven is just not not a great fit no, my job doesn't take a lot of brain power, so it's tedious, but it doesn't take a lot of hard thinking. So yeah. there's a lot of little details when you're entering invoices and doing payroll and whatnot. But wow, that just sounds so thrilling. It's exciting, yeah. Um, I like accounting because because uh, there's rules. You know, you take from here, it goes over here, it all balances out. It's all about balancing, you know? And, um, fine feeling when it just lands on the right number at the end. Right. Yeah. When you're reconciling a statement and everything's there and it balances out, it's pretty fun. Um, also, the, the rules for accounting are the same wherever you go in the world, the generally accepted accounting principles. Gap. Gap. It's all the same. A balance sheet here is the same as a balance sheet in Europe. It's just euros versus American dollars. But it's all the same concept. So I could technically go do accounting anywhere. I would like to go and live in New Zealand. And I have been saying that since before the pandemic. So it's not just the fact that they have a competent female leader who's in charge of things and is keeping her country safe. I don't like then, but that was the reason before the pandemic as well as after. Yeah. I, I feel like it's going to be too hot in New Zealand. Is it South? I don't like heat. New Zealand is an Island. Like it's in the middle of the ocean. So it should be pretty temperate. Yeah. I don't like the heat. 
I don't either. I want to go to Dublin. I've been checking out Dublin. I've never been there. Yeah. But um, have you uh, have you watched the Netflix series Dairy Girls? Uh. Uh-uh. That is what you should watch next. I will. So it's Dairy D E R R Y Dairy mm-hmm. Girls. And if you think like the television show Girls with Lena Dunham, I think that had a baby with the Wonder Years, but it's set in Ireland during the conflict between the Northern and Republic of Ireland. Oh. And uh, it's worth a watch. It's fun characters. I just saw Dublin has a pretty good comedy scene. Okay. And there is an island over there that's like four hours from Dublin um, that they will pay you to go live there. Really? You have to have some sort of remote job. But yeah, they need, like their population is, is aging and they're not getting an influx of new people so they have all these residences that are vacant and it's better to have people in them so they don't fall apart but uh that's uh basically the situation for every non-major urban center in the world right now yeah yeah we we just don't care here we'll just leave them empty yeah there's a lot to say about um immigration being the thing that can reverse some of that trend yeah like everybody under the age of 50 in some towns in iowa is you know hispanic and immigrant or child of immigrant yeah and that's a really polarized population but all yeah. the old farmers have left or died yeah because americans don't want to do that work they've tried they want to do the work they don't want to get paid the wages it's hard work even if they want to pay like i could get i have um several friends that need work and i could get them a job doing construction labor making like 18 19 20 dollars an hour Mm -hmm. um and they're all like fuck you (laughs) it's hot I know someone who owns a small business that does window washing for like large glass window buildings, like that yeah. kind of window washing. And he said, like, I cannot find anyone to work for me. And he pays twenty bucks an hour and like offers benefits and he's like, I cannot get anyone who will come in. Yeah, my work it's employee paid health insurance. Like they pay for my health insurance. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a really great company, but nobody wants to work that. Right? Like, I wouldn't think that washing windows would be that terrible a job. Like it's not like, you know. I wouldn't like the heights. I imagine if you're doing. skill set might be a little more specific, but if you're willing to acquire the skill to do it, like if he trains you to do it, would you not, would you not do it? Like it doesn't seem like a bad scenario, but he's like, I can't get anyone. It doesn't seem like it would be that physically laborious necessarily, but I wouldn't want to be up on a thing cleaning windows on a high rise or something. That sounds yeah. terrifying. Well, it's not for everyone, certainly, but it's got to be for someone. For 20 bucks an hour, it should be. an hour and benefits. Like, that's a, that's a damn decent job for someone without a college degree. And yeah, that's how much I make. I have college degrees. Yeah. Right. Not that I needed a bachelor's to get my job, but I needed an associate's. So. Yeah, I don't make that much more than that. I have a lot of college degrees. Yeah. 
Like maybe I'll just go fucking go wash some windows. Man. Maybe I'll just go wash some windows. It's got to be less stressful. Less stressful. You get to be outside. You look at the Colorado mountainscapes. Yeah. Uh, you know, there we go. Career change. It's Fresh air. Of- yeah. I imagine there's probably some smog you'd be breathing in downtown Denver high rise. Oh, probably. I wouldn't do well in the summer because being out in the sun against a glass building in the summer would just make me want to die. Yeah. I'm not into the heat uh, at all. I get very cranky. I get a headache. I don't feel good. I get sweaty and itchy and deeply unpleasant to interact with. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not into the heat. Uh, I actually like if Trump gets elected again, I might, you know, I've, I've been joking around, but about like just going to like Canada for a few years, just till he's just till just till it's over. But I, I've interviewed a couple comedians on uh, this podcast. And one of them was uh, that are in Canada and one of them, their mother is an immigration lawyer up there. So I was like, you got your after, connection. Yeah. Your mom what the easiest way for me to be in Canada for like three to four years will be. Go there and seek asylum. Yeah. Cause I can't move. I really can't move to another country that's across the sea because of my kids. You know, I can barely like go into Denver eight hours away. It was pretty far, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It might I think we go to Mexico. It's too hot. Can't go south. Yeah, the point is pretty hot. I gotta go north. I can't go south. Yeah. Uh, with Saskatchewan. Yeah. A lot of things in Saskatchewan. But I just some days I feel like uh, renouncing my citizenship and just like not being an American anymore. <laughs> like, I I was having a long conversation with a friend of mine a week ago, and her boyfriend is from Germany. And did you know there's a, a shortage of quarters in America right now? Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't know that because I don't use a lot of quarters, but they have a, uh, a coin-op washing machine in their building. And she's like, this, this quarter shortage is like the last straw for him. He was like, I was here, and then there was Trump, and then there was a pandemic, but now I can't even wash my underwear anymore. <laughs> like, I'm going back to Germany. And I asked her if she would go with him if he actually did. And she said, like, I don't know. Like, there's so much that I love about America, like the, the landscapes and the, the people. And I don't want to abandon it in its hour of need. But also, I don't want to live under Trump for another. I can't help America. I, you know, that, that's for each of us to decide. There's nothing I can do for it. You know, it's, it's too, it needs to just be put down, you know, like <laughs> a dog that's just too sick, you know, and you just. Well, we are well in the process of overdosing ourselves on opiates. So maybe that should just be our final exit. I wonder how many people died last year of opiate o- ODs. I don't, I haven't heard anything about it since the, like the coronavirus pandemic started, but I'm sure it hasn't gotten better. I just wonder if like. Yeah, because like if 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 people people aren't freaking out about it like they are Corona, you know, like they, you know, it's like even if as many people died from it, people see it as a 
I don't know. They're because not you, scared. You have to opt into that. Like you have yeah. to take that first step towards it. Whereas the COVID, you just have to inadvertently breathe the wrong thing. So it's a lot more vulnerable feeling. The problem with the opiates, because I know so many people that have been addi- that got addicted to them because they were legit taking pills for a legit reason. They had surgery or they got a car wreck or, or something. And then, you know, that led them to an addiction that eventually got to a point that they, you know, needed to go to heroin because it's cheaper and easier to get. And so, uh, you know, so it is a choice, I guess, but it's not most people that are... Be- that are part of the opiate, you know, pandemic that's happening, the problem that's happening are getting it legitimately to begin with. Oh, true. I didn't, I didn't mean choices in a sense of like personal moral responsibility. Yeah. You you have to put it in your mouth the first time. Yeah. um, Which is an, an active motion rather than just breathing it in passively. Yeah. Um, yeah, my my former boss's kid got into a heroin addiction in that same way. He was in a ski accident, and they sent him home with a gallon jug of OxyContin, and that was the end of the story. Yeah, I got in a car wreck in 2006, and I was taking Percocets for like two months, and I needed them for the pain for the first month. And then I noticed that I was only taking them because if I didn't, I felt pukey. And I just didn't feel good if I didn't take them. They didn't really make me feel good or high or anything. I just wanted to feel normal again. Um, so I just quit doing them. And I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be, you know, my kids were little. I was like, I'm not going to be this, you know, white woman at the soccer game trying to score fucking drugs from the teenagers in my minivan. Um, I'm not doing it. So I just quit doing it. For me, it's about, I I have such a fear of being controlled that when I start to feel like a substance is controlling me, I quit it because I don't want it to to be controlled by something. Totally legit. So, and I guess I just don't have an addictive personality. I don't know. I I, I have like a food addiction. Uh, I probably have... Uh, what some would call a love addiction. Um, But which both of those things can be bad and detrimental to your life. Oh, totally. I read this book a couple weeks ago. Which I found very interesting. Appetites. Appetites. Well, this woman who had an eating disorder. Oh, for a long time and she uh, eventually overcame it yeah for me it's like just you know like i kind of grew up like you celebrated with food if you were sad your my mom was like here's cookies you know or you know uh you had a good day here's some cookies you had a bad day here's some cookies you know and so it's like it's just kind of how i grew up like food was a form of uh, affection in my household. So, I mean, I had real affection too, but it's just, yeah. I yeah, that's a fairly, fairly common experience. I got, now I'm pretty much down to just my Nutella addiction. That's not the worst one you can have. No, I figure, you know, if I'm getting a chocolate 
craving and I eat some Nutella, it's better than a Snickers. I just eat it straight out of the jar. Sometimes I put it on strawberries and bananas, but yeah, I just eat it. Yeah. Like every night I eat a spoonful or two. Awesome. All right. I'm kind of running out of time here, so yeah. I got to go. Is there any uh, final wrap-up uh, point? I want to say that I love your shirt. Oh, thanks. It has tiny bicycles on it. It has tiny bicycles on it. This is, this is my Zoom shirt of quarantine. Like, all my Zoom calls are in this and shirt. I, I want to get smaller boobs so I can wear button-ups because they don't that fit is, me right. That is one good point about having very small breasts. Is that to get them to button up over my boobs, they have to dra- They have to be so big, they don't look good. I see a lot of women who do, like, the safety pin. Yeah. Middle, that keeps it from, like, doing this. Yeah. I don't I, have to. Because it's just right down the front. It's a lovely shirt. Thank you. I like and, it. Uh, I'm sorry we didn't get to talk longer. But there was. Yeah, that's all right. I just. I didn't I, realize I, you were here. I didn't realize the appointment you were, was for five o'clock, so I jumped on yeah. at five and then saw you change it to six. Yeah, I was driving home at five, so. But uh, it was really good to talk to you. I'm gonna check more into your nonprofit. That sounds really. Yeah, come check us out. Um, yeah. Our next our next digital live stream event happens tomorrow night. So, yeah, I'll have to check, check that out sometime. Yeah. I have a show tomorrow. Okay, well, I'm doing thirty minutes in the springs. Cool. Well, good luck with that. Thirty minutes is a great set. Yeah, I'm not gonna say no. <laughs> I don't know what I'm gonna say, and I'm super rusty. I haven't done thirty minutes in like. I've only done it a few times, and I haven't done it in like two years. I've been doing like 15, 20, so. You got this. You got there. Fine, I'll be fine. But it was really good talking to you. Hey, thanks. You too. Thanks for having me on your show. Thanks for coming. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.